This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. High noon. It's TSN 1050. This is Toronto Today. Mike Hogan with you for the next hour. Scotty Mack. Sean Lavigny, his producer, preparing for three hours of entertainment. Won't tell you how. Some of the discussions leading into the show. Not exactly what you'd expect to hear between 1 and 4 this afternoon. Baseball hour coming up at 3 o'clock on that program. Coming up on this show, in this hour, uh, Dan Zimborski will join us in a couple of minutes. He of uh, ESPN Baseball fame. And uh, we'll take a look at... uh, Baseball through his analytical analytical eyes, and also uh, he has written a couple of interesting columns involving the Jays in uh, not e- not even in roundabout ways, but specifically mentioning the ball club uh, of late. So uh, we'll talk to Dan here in a couple of seconds. Carlo Koliakovo, longtime NHLer, former Toronto Maple Leaf, now playing in Germany, uh, hung him up with the Sabers a couple of years ago, and then last year went across the pond to play in Europe and. Um, He's a guy that's uh, that's on the radar for being a Canadian Olympian, since he is no longer an NHLer, and obviously still has a fairly high skill level. And uh, we'll we'll talk to Carlo about what that process is going to be like for him over the next few months, getting ready for a tournament in Russia. As uh, they will take a look at some of the players, there are a couple of split teams that are going around. Uh, in the summer, and, and, and Sean Burke and company will be taking a look at them. So Carlo's going to drop by. And uh, Rod Black will join us as well from the CFL on TSN, the Argonauts. Sole possession of first place in the East. That was a fun game. I haven't been on the uh, on the airwaves since uh, the game on Monday night. That was a fun game. Uh, only fifteen grand, but that's a little bit more than was there uh, the week before. But uh, I thought that the ceremony to honor Doug Flutie and the other members of the 1997 team was done about as perfectly as you can do one. Um, his speech was to the point when they named him as an all-time Argo. And saw some of the guys there, some of the guys afterwards as well, and they just had a blast. They got together at a restaurant the night before, and that's when the stories came out. And it was a late night. Sadly, I was prepping the game and didn't make it into Toronto for that from Whitby. But heard about it the next night, and um, they got at it the next day. Like they met at around one o'clock, and just continued the reminiscing, so to speak. So uh, they were in fine form by the time the game showed uh, came around, and uh, the Argos and Red Blacks put on a very inter- uh, interesting and entertaining game. And if you're watching it from the Toronto perspective, um, you leave happy because you see a last-minute drive where Ricky Ray was just surgeon-like. Uh, going down the field. They kick a game-winning field goal in the last play of the game. Liram Hyralahu hits one. So, uh, all well in the world. They're in Saskatchewan on Saturday night, 6 o'clock pregame here on TSN 1050. And uh, we, uh, I found out we're going to run the Double Blue podcast at 5. So, you'll get all of your Argo information and the game itself here on TSN 1050. Uh, Dan Zimborski coming up in a couple of seconds. And Dan's been uh, been writing a couple of different Articles that uh, involved the Jays, not specifically, but the article certainly mentioned them. One of the things that he did, and I will I will phrase this the way that he did on Twitter as he as he linked his story. 
Up on ESPN, I tried to make a not completely insane trade for all 30 teams. So he did that with the Toronto Blue Jays, and it's 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 not exactly a barn burner. It's not exactly a top-line guy moving. So we'll get his explanation for that. And uh, also uh, talked about teams that are now officially sellers. And uh, one of the things that Dan does is he really breaks down the game analytically uh, with his zips format. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to Dan about where the Blue Jays have fared and whether they should be selling, whether they should be on the bubble for a little bit more and see what happens after, you know, I, I know it's Oakland, and Oakland is certainly in, in sell mode as a baseball team at this stage. But they got three wins in a row. They, should they try to hang on a little bit more? We'll find out from Dan right now. As mentioned from ESPN, uh, the always entertaining Dan Zimborski on the line. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing well today. How are you, Mike? I am better than adequate and better now that I hear your voice once again because I am always entertained by your Twitter feed and your rare appearances on this program. Well, some people are entertained and some people get raging mad at me because I do tend to be a little sarcastic at times. Which is good. Okay, let me let me go right into that then because you 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 did something that is insane to even attempt. But you uh, tried to make a deal for all 30 MLB teams and make sure that, in your words, they weren't completely insane. Um, how did the Jays fare in this? It's, it's not exactly Bautista that's moving here. No, I actually, when I did the trade for each team, I gave the Blue Jays kind of a low-key trade because they're still a team that's at the crossroads, and there's still some question ahead of exactly what they will do. Uh, I, I think, obviously, you trade some of the guys who aren't around or have limited value, and I talked about J.P. Howell uh, and his uh, you know, comeback from shoulder injury and uh, the, the fact that teams need relief pitching. Sure. Uh, don't think the Jays would get much. But they, it is a team that has some interesting questions to answer this week. Now, you did this, obviously, trying to make a deal, one deal for each team. Were there others that went through your warped little mind about uh, what the Jays might be able to get for some of the players that uh, that have been mentioned as tr- as possible trade bait? I, I I still think that they could get something for Marco Estrada. I think that I'm perhaps in the minority at this point, but he was really good until the end of May, and teams are desperate for pitching, and there are teams that are in the playoff hunt, like the Brewers and the Twins, that are still kind of in the rebuilding phase and may not want to give up a top prospect, may not want to, say, go after Jeff Samarja or Johnny Cueto or someone like that. So I think that you're not going to get a top prospect, unfortunately, for Estrada at this point, but I think you at least have to discuss it since he's not definitely a part of the next good Blue Jays team, which could be as soon as next year. There's a lot of talk, and, and we've had nothing to do but talk about the future here in Toronto for a couple of months, um, with Donaldson. And there are those in the camp that say, with a year left, you should deal him now if you can get something. There are those that say, absolute low value, don't move him now, wait until the off season. What would you do if you were in the general manager's chair with Josh Donaldson? I think if Donaldson had been healthy all season and having a great MVP-type year, then you really start to discuss it because the packages would be probably immense if, if, we, if it was 2016 Donaldson they were trading. Uh, but given that he's had you know, an injury-filled down year for him, I'm not really sure they would, get, they would maximize their package right now. I think that they, they can be, with a player like Donaldson, since it's not a team that's going to go into a full rebuild. They're not the White Sox. For the White Sox, the decisions are easy. Trade everybody. But for a team that's still good in 2018, those decisions are a lot more complex. 
Uh, maybe you talk about it next year if, mm-hmm. if the team isn't competing. But I, I don't think they'd get maximum value from Donaldson right now. It would be a, a sell-low type thing. I don't think you want to do that. I want to do, uh, get into the Jays and how they fared on zips this year. But uh, you, we were talking about this article about the 30 teams uh, making a deal. And you mentioned some of the feedback that you get from your readers. Um, which one to you made the most sense and you got a lot of positive feedback on from those who follow you on Twitter, etc. And how? Me- what was the deal that drove people insane and said, you're an idiot to come up with that? Because when you put up a list like this, you're going to get both. Oh, yeah, I figured that. My, my goal was always just not to be... Not to, not to be too stupid so that it's just sure. not terrible. Yeah. You know, when people propose trades, they'll say, well, we'll, we'll, we'll take Mike Trout and we'll give you our 10th best prospect. Yeah. You, get, you get a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, I think that a lot of... I got a lot of support for the Orioles trades. I think among the Orioles fandom, there's a recognition that this team isn't going anywhere this year, and they have to trade some of these relievers at the top of their value or near the top of their value. Zach Britton's not really at the top of his value. Yeah. But I think there's, there's support for the idea of trading the relievers, getting some value that will help the team in the future because they have no starting pitching. They're actually scoring fewer runs than the average AL team. It's a team that really needs a new direction, and the relievers are a good place to start. Uh, I, I think the most pushback is, is from Braves fans because uh, I have kind of an antagonistic relationship with them because of Matt Kemp. Uh, <laughs> Who, of course, you have moving in this, uh, in this fantasy world. Yeah, Kemp, Kemp it's, it's, it's kind of frustrating because Kemp obviously isn't the player anywhere near what he used to be, yeah. but he'd be such a, more, such a better player in the American League where he doesn't have to play defense. Uh, I, I described his range as approximating that of a wheelbarrow last year, which people weren't that happy with. Uh, but as a DH, he still has some value to a team that's in, in contention. To a team that's rebuilding, like the Braves, that play in the National League, it's hard to really see what they're actually getting having him. So I suggested that the Braves eat some money so they can get a couple of prospects. But, of course, that did not go over well. Uh, but that's, that's, that's social media for you. Well, that's, and you're, you're just trying to do your gig. Dan Zimborski joining us from ESPN. You also wrote an article about teams that should throw in the towel, and you, you're, you're, you, it seemed like you were hesitant about the Blue Jays doing that. Yeah, I think the Blue Jays, because what it comes down to is if you could restart the season right now today and, and just count the rest of the season, I think the Blue Jays would be one of the serious wildcard contenders. But the problem, as I describe it, is it's a problem of math because the Blue Jays aren't starting off tied with every team. They're starting off well behind. The question isn't, are the Blue Jays better than the Royals? The question is, are the Blue Jays seven games better than the Royals over a little over a third of a season? Yeah. And that, that's, a, that's a pretty hard question to answer because right now they have to, if I'm counting right, they have to pass seven of the eight teams yeah. ahead of them in the wild card race. And that, that, that's a tall order because you have to be, you know, eight games better than the Yankees, eight games better than the Royals, Seven games better than the Rays, and so on and so forth. And that, that's a pretty tall order. So even though a lot of the teams I talk about should be throwing in the towel and starting a new path, I think the Blue Jays should be kind of doing that quick retool uh, like the Red Sox did uh, several years ago. That quick retool, trade off some of the players who won't be back in 2018 and refocus their look for 2018. Maybe 2018 doesn't work out, but you'll find out when we get there. Uh, please accept this term with the intended affection, but you're a numbers geek, and, and you break things down analytically. And for those who don't know about the Zips system, um, it's more than just the football team at the University of Akron. Uh, fill us in on what Zips are all about. 
Well, I've avoided the trademark dispute from Akron so far, uh, so, <laughs> so we're doing pretty well. There's also a cracker at Kroger called Zips, which, which oh, really? entertains me, and are, people send that to me. But anyway, are they Zips tasty? I haven't had them. I mean, I, I kind of feel like I'm selling out. Oh, okay. Maybe Good they'll point. see the crackers in my house and say, oh, that's where you got the heat from, our crackers. <laughs> uh, Zips is a computer projection system. It, it, it essentially, at the basics, it, it takes a player's history, uh, estimates a baseline, and based on the history of similar players, it tries to, you know, guesstimate what the future is. Because the future is very foggy. We can only peer slightly into it. So when you say, oh, everything's going to be accurate, like, no, not that everything is going to be accurate. That would be crazy. But we're just trying to do a little better at predicting the future than we would with, with other tools. I always describe it as I'm trying to put together the least terrible way of predicting the, fu- the future. Now, my bosses don't always like that as a, as a uh, marketing line. <laughs> like, but it is what it is. Like a cookie that says, this is the least terrible cookie you'll eat this year. Uh, but or crackers. It, it does work. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I haven't had lunch yet, so that's why we're talking about cookies <laughs> and crackers. Uh, uh, it's, it, I mean, it does well for what it does, and it has beaten uh, Vegas's over-unders in the last few years, each of them, uh, which, which always makes me happy because I do do a little side betting because, you know, nice. in for a penny, in for a pound. Sure. Uh, and, and I could probably talk, like, for an hour on, on, on how Zips works, but it, it's also, we also have limited segment time. So let me ask you how the, uh, uh, how the Jays fare via Zips. Well, for the rest of the season, to make the playoffs, it's only like a 5% chance, which is pretty long simply because of the math we talked about. Sure. Uh, if we go forward to 2018 with the current rosters and the players who are signed for 2018, Zips in the league still sees the Blue Jays as around an 85-win team coming into the season, which means it's a team that can be improved, and that's why they should take the rest of the season to saying, hey, how can we improve on 2018? Uh, and... Because you, you put that 85 wins to 88 wins, and all of a sudden you have a team that's, hey, we're going to bounce back from a bad 2017. Uh, so it's, it's not panic time in Toronto, as, as, as depressing as parts of this season have been. Uh, so I think that there is a good chance that they can, you know, have a new beginning in 2018. Uh, when you heard Kershaw was injured, did that blow up oh. your system? Yeah, it makes me sad. Uh, because as a fan of baseball, really, before I'm a fan of my, my home team, sure. uh, I, I, I don't want to see any pitcher get injured. Because I think we all lose when, when, when we lose a pitcher to injury. Uh, so anytime a pitcher is injured, I pray the next thing I don't see is that they're taking a trip to Dr. James Andrew. Yeah. Andrews. Uh, you know, he's the grim reaper of baseball. Because, you know, you see your favorite picture visiting him, you're like, oh, God, it's going to be Tommy John surgery. Luckily, yeah. it's not that for Kershaw. But I think we all lose when someone like Kershaw is injured or Bumgarner or one of the many pitchers who has been injured. Uh, so let's just, uh, hypothetically, if uh, he is injured long-term, and we all hope he is, and that opens the door a little bit wider for a team like, oh, I don't know, the Nationals. You're in Baltimore. You admit your, your, your passion for the Orioles. Um, would that kill you to see the Nationals go to the World Series? I, I don't think it would kill me. Uh, it, it, it's weird. It would have killed me. 20 years ago when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, when I was a teenager. Uh, I think covering baseball for so long, I love I loved baseball, and I watch a, an absurd amount of baseball, but I think my relationship with baseball has kind of changed. I, n- I never can really sit back and just turn off things and just you know be a fan of the things that are going on, which, which is sad sometimes. Yeah. I, I've gained some and I've lost some. 
Uh, I would prefer the Orioles to be in the World Series over the Nationals, but I also like to see a good team at the top of their game, and uh, I still think the Dodgers are going to be pretty tough to defeat. I mean, sure. they're 71-31. You're lucky, though, then the fact that you still have that allegiance. Uh, as a guy who grew up as an Expos fan, um, I lost that. And baseball changed it. It, it. it changes. It changed for me substantially when the Expos went, and I still watch it. I still love the sport, but the passion's gone, and that's it's it, it's really it's weird to go through that process of of having something and then having it taken away. Yeah, you see that a lot with some of the Expos fans too, and they've all had. I think all the Expos fans had their own, you know, moment of of turmoil walking through the desert after it. I know Joe Nakari is still very upset about yeah. the Expos uh, leaving, as are most fans. There's a whole Montreal Expos fan diaspora uh, around, uh, where some adopted other teams, some didn't. Uh, fewer adopted the Nationals for obvious reasons. Uh, at, at least Jeff Loria hasn't moved the Marlins yet. <laughs> yet. And thank you for ruining my day by bringing that name into the conversation. You had to Ho- go there, didn't you? Hopefully they won't give him a third team. It it, it was it's, it was so frustrating, you know, when he sold the Nationals and there was this whole deal that's saying, okay, well, we're going to give you the money for the Marlins. It's like, why would you do that? But uh, yeah. I, 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 think, I think that if the Marlins moved, say, to Portland, that the eight remaining Marlins fans would still be upset. Exactly. I appreciate this as always. Uh, fantastic work as always on on ESPN.com. And uh, keep doing what you do on Twitter. You're an extremely entertaining follow. Thanks, Mike. Always fun to be on. Thanks, Dan. Be well. That is Dan Simborski joining us from ESPN, a baseball analyst. Uh, yeah, it's the eye chart if you're trying to follow him on Twitter. It's D Zimborski, S Z Y. Yeah, I know. S Z Y M B O R S K I, Zimborski. And uh, you can find out more about his zips formula, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and he's just. Uh, He's just out there a little bit, and I mean that in the best possible way. Uh, Jay's getting ready for, well, the trade deadline, the upcoming trade deadline, and we're still trying to figure out if they're going to do anything. If they do do something, how much will they do? Will it just be fringe guys or will it be a, a more important piece to the puzzle? Doesn't look like they're leaning that way right now, but one never knows. Uh, Mark Shapiro talking about the importance of the trade deadline to the future of this ball club. It's important from a, you know, there are so few opportunities a year to infuse talent into a system. The draft, international signing just occurred, and those were good periods for us. The trade deadline is before free agency, the, the next best juncture to infuse talent. Talent can be at any level, you know, player development level, the minor league system, or it can be the major league team. So it is important because there are so few opportunities to infuse talent. Uh, that is uh, Mark Shapiro in conversation, uh, a one-on-one with TSN Scott Mitchell. And he's looking at the uh, the deadline and looking at it in a long-term point of view. That we're not in the rental market. We're not in the, the market for players that uh, only impact the next three months. Other than that, we're in an identical position. So let's uh, look into the future. And I think everybody, not everybody, there are still those that think that there is a chance. Uh, as you heard from Zimborski, the computer spits out uh, via his uh, program a 5% chance that the Blue Jays could make uh, the playoffs this year, but looks at the, the roster right now and says, you know what, 85 wins next year. That area is certainly a potential. Um, but Shapiro, even though they are looking long-term, wants to be active at the deadline. 
I think we'd be active no matter what. You know, where we sit in the standings, you know, doesn't affect our activity. It certainly affects what we're trying to do. Uh, and I think we objectively understand where we are. Uh, we also feel a commitment to the fans here to continue to give them reasons to cheer this team. So we're looking to get better. Uh, obviously, the short term get better is a little tempered and it's more focused on the next year and long term. Well, and, and that's the right attitude to take, you would think. If there are some players, and there are a couple of guys whose contracts are expiring that might be uh, attractive to another team. And then, uh, you know, they talk about what they're going to be next year. And I don't think any of us know what they're going to be like next year because there are so many question marks. Every one of the outfield positions, um, I think you're, you're fine at third base. Should you decide not to move? Uh, him at uh, and Donaldson at the uh, at, at the deadline, which I don't think they will. There's no indication that that's going to happen. Um, what do you have at first? Is Smoke going to be the same guy? What do you have at second? I don't know. What do you have at shortstop? Well, a guy who's not worth the money. Martin's getting older, and there are a bunch of question marks in the starting rotation and in the bullpen. So other than that, they're fine. But they are still looking to improve for next year. Um, Shapiro talking about untouchable players and the label on said athletes. In today's game, we have a better ability to frame the value of a player, um, what he contributes towards wins, what he means to the makeup character uh, of a team and leadership components. Uh, and the, because we can value players more precisely, there is a value for every player. Uh, but the ones that have the most value, it's, it's sometimes so hard to put a deal together that they earn an untouchable label. It's Mark Shapiro once again in conversation with TSN's Scott Mitchell. And you know, what, untouchable on the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't think there is such a beast. There are three guys that I would be very, 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 very hesitant to move. One is Stroman. One is Sanchez. One is Osuna. That's it. Um, I, I'm a guy that would want to build around pitching, pitching, and then maybe after the pitching, I think maybe a little bit more pitching. And if you've got young talent that has been able to prove itself in the past, I don't know why you'd want to part company with that kind of player, especially with the problems that Sanchez is going through right now. You talk about if you're going to move a guy, moving him at low value. Holy crap, you would not want to. You'd get nothing for this guy at this stage. Nothing of significance, certainly nothing uh, of equal value when Sanchez is going. And you just hope that he can get through this blister thing. And when camp opens next year, uh, the finger has toughened up and no problems with the nail and everything is ready to go. That's the hope, obviously. The other two guys, good young pitchers. I don't, I don't know why you'd want to part with them. I understand the theory behind Osuna, if you can get a boatload for him. I get it. I, I completely get the theory. I don't know if I would subscribe to it with a young arm like this. He might blow up next year. It seems to be the nature of the position. But I'm still I'm hesitant to do that. And again, with Josh Donaldson, if the right deal comes along, if somebody feels that they, the, the price for a rental third baseman is too high, and there are some out there, and if they're going to go in, they're going to go all in with prospects, and somebody offers a deal for Donaldson that the Jays can't refuse, then it's bye-bye Mr. Donaldson. But it would have to blow me away. It would have to be one of those trades that you just didn't see coming. 
and somebody is desperate enough, and in your estimation and the estimation of your staff, they are willing to overpay for the asset, then you make the deal. The way that Donaldson has played this year, with the injury problems that he has gone through this year, I, call me crazy, but I don't see that happening. I don't see somebody overpaying for Josh Donaldson at this point. If he comes back and plays exceptionally well in August and plays exceptionally well in September and plays like the old Josh Donaldson, which wouldn't surprise me at all, boy, does his trade value go up in the offseason. And you can bring in more teams as well. Although I guess since you're really not going for the rental player, if a team wants to make a deal for Josh Donaldson now, it could. Um, so that's uh, that's where the Jays are right now, and it will be interesting to see what they do at the deadline, if anything. Do I expect them to do something? Yes. Do I expect them to unload a couple of pitchers who are not going to be back next year? Yes. Do I expect them to get anything of value back for them? No. But you can't roll a seven if you don't have the dice in your hand. And for the Blue Jays, I'd roll the dice and see what you can get. See somebody in somebody else's organization, maybe in the low minors, that you may like better than some of the other quote-unquote experts, or maybe you've heard something that uh, an organization is starting to feel not so positive about a guy. Maybe you make the deal then. Maybe that's the kind of guy that you're looking for. But I just, I something is better than nothing. When we come back, we will continue. We've got Carlo Koliakovo coming up to talk about uh, his role potentially with the Canadian Olympic hockey team. And Rod Black, the uh, one of the play-by-play voices of the CFL on TSN, drops by next as we continue with Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Snap is good. The hold is good. The kick is good. Get out the brooms. The Argonauts have just swept the Ottawa Red Blacks. They get the win on the final play of the game. Argos 27, Ottawa 24. What the hell was that? 12-31, 29 before 1 o'clock. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Mike Hogan in for Gareth Wheeler. Wheels will be back on uh, Monday, I believe. Coming up a little bit later on on this show, we will hear from Carlo Koliakovo, who's back in the news as a potential Canadian Olympian. First up, though, to the CFL we go, and uh, somebody who didn't call that game, but is always busy on the weekend, obviously, flying around the country and calling CFL f- football for TSN, Mr. Rod Black. What's up, stranger? Hello, Hoagie. I am, I, I, I am sitting in scorching Winnipeg. It's going to be a hot box tonight. It is about 34 degrees. It's supposed to be that way for the next few days. Something that we haven't really had a sniff of in Toronto, or should I call it Toronto slash Vancouver this year, because we've had <laughs> rain every single day. But, oh, my God, it is a sweat box. Uh, what's, have you been outside yet? Like, what's the temperature? Oh, yeah. What's the humidity? It's, 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 it's getting close to 25 already. It's only in the morning, and it's going to be up near 30 by game time. And tomorrow they say close to 40 here. But, Ooh. It'll cool down a little wow. bit, as you know, with those Winnipeg winds. But yeah. uh, having grown up in this city, yeah. I, I just know these hot, hot summer nights, uh, they get really, really sweaty. And uh, not quite the humidity, but um, you, you also have a possibility of inclement weather, too. Like, you know, we get some twisters in and around here and some, some, some turbulent uh, skies. But uh, it should be a good night for football. Uh, who, who does this uh, type of condition favor, Winnipeg or Montreal? Uh, 
I might say Montreal a little more, just because they're used to playing in that humidity. Yeah. Uh, having said that, it's you know again it's the peg, and I, I would I would probably think that the guys have been practicing in that this week, so I would think that there's probably a good chance that the Bombers are probably a little more acclimatized to it. And I, I'll tell you a quick story that just when I used to cover as a reporter, beat reporter, the Bombers, it was classic. I don't know, made me think about it. There, there were days like this, and they'd always practice, and in the middle of the practice, there were the kickers, always the kickers, Ogie. Yeah. Trevor Kennard and Bob Cameron, who uh, <laughs> slipped out, you know, you're looking at practice, where'd they go? And then they come back and they're, they've made a trip to 7-Eleven and they all got big gulps and Slurpees for all the old linemen in the middle of practice. Awesome. That's, that's the way to, that's, that's the, the kind way of to, weather you get, right? Yeah, that's the way to suck up to the linemen. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, for sure. Awesome. Um, before we leave uh, Winnipeg, and we'll, we'll talk about the Argos in a second, you get to call Winnipeg obviously more than I do. Is there a more fun team in the league? to prepare for and watch play just because you don't know what's happening on special yeah. teams? Yeah, and that's Osh, right? That's yeah. that's that's Mike O'Shea, who we know and love very well. That's the, the brilliance that he's shown through the years. A guy who played them, uh, mastered them, uh, made a Hall of Fame career out of them, as well as his, his, his prowess, obviously, as a linebacker. Uh, but, yeah, you, you don't know. And uh, their stealth. You can go to practice every single day, and, and you can watch, and you can take notes, and you might even have a Chris Jones spy there, or a Calgary spy, or an Edmonton spy, whoever it might be, and you still don't know what's coming. And uh, it is fun, and I love it. Uh, that's what we love about the CFL. We love those those gadget plays. We love those trick plays. Um, the the onside field goal attempt that we watched last week yeah. from Justin Medlock, uh, you know, is a classic, and and that's just oh, but they are fun to watch. I, I, you know, they ran that play. We're not allowed to report what we see at practice, uh, mm-hmm. report it publicly. But without giving away trade secrets, since he's ran it, uh, he ran a variation of that in Toronto in practice. And I'm sure Milanovic was just too conservative a coach, and I, I, that's not a diss. That's just a state, yep. you know, the way Great that he point. approached the game, uh, that he would not let O'Shea go anywhere near that in a game. But now oh. that O'Shea's the head coach, I'm expecting some variation of something every week because yeah. that I, I saw that and I laughed about it. And on our podcast, Jeff Johnson talked about uh, the punt that Ottawa tried to run, the onside punt, yep. uh, a couple of weeks ago. And that was, O'Shea and, that was O'Shea, O'Shea and J.J. coming up with that. Jamie uh, 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 oh, Elizondo, Elizondo uh, yeah. who's coaching here, is now coaching there. And JJ's yelling, he stole that from us. <laughs> so it's it's funny. It's a small league, yeah. but uh, man, I just I I just whenever there's a punt coming up, either the Winnipeg Blue Bombers punting or place kicking or onside kick, I just don't leave. Yeah, and I love that. That's you know, I remember growing up watching the game, and there was always a flea flicker, some razzle dazzle, uh, onside kicks, whatever it might be, so, something unconventional. Every week, and we—I don't think we see it as much. I think there is more, more of a conservative uh, tendency from a lot of the coaches because it, every play is so dear, as we know. I mean, I think there are a lot more plays, as you would agree, per game because of the tempo offense, the no huddles. Yeah. But at the same time, I'd let, we have how many quarterbacks who have turned receivers in the league? I would love to see Brad Sinopoli, Armani Edwards. You name it. Go down the list of all the guys who have played quarterback at one time. Start to chuck the football a little more on some of those, but we just don't see it as much. Yeah, we saw Sinopoli uh, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, the, you know there there are guys on the Argo roster who uh, played quarterback, including, believe it or not, in high school, Sean Lemon. Yeah, I saw 
saw that. Isn't that classic? Yeah. That is classic. Uh, oh, could you imagine him in the huddle? Yeah, that would, <laughs> that would be outstanding. When He's I say, one of my favorite players in the CFL. When I, I say Toronto Denver. Argonauts, what do you think of the way that they've played so far? Uh, I would say uh, Ascent. You know, uh, a team that is on the rise. And, and perhaps also... Uh, Last year, I think they were predictable. They were predictably predictable in the fact that they weren't, in many ways, very good. Uh, and you would thought a lot of times games were lost. Uh, I would say um, maybe another word might be revitalized, mm-hmm. uh, resurgent. Uh, you name it, the re's um, reignited. Uh, Ricky Ray is, has found uh, his greatest connection, perhaps that he's ever had as a coach in Mark Tressman, mm-hmm. uh, who whose offense now has in my mind, been brilliant over the last little while and Ray's on a record-setting pace and he seems to have found the fountain of youth again and maybe he never lost it, Hoagie. Maybe he never lost it. Maybe it just had a lot to do with personnel before. Maybe it had to do with packages. Now, again, it's early in the season, but one of the things that I love about this team right now, watching it, is, and here's another word, exciting. They're a really yeah. exciting ball team. Yeah, they're fun to watch. And the amazing thing, I mean, Ricky Ray has been so good. This is his 15th year in the Canadian Football League. Mm-hmm. And this is only the second time he's put together five consecutive 300-yard games. Which that, is crazy. That's insane. Yeah, when you, but again, I guess it's not so surprising when you, when you think of what it's been like since 2012. Yeah. And, you know, I think the Argos, and this is no secret, the Argos absolutely blew it after 2012 in so many ways, on the field and off the field. Yeah. And, and, and just missed, missed the boat with their fan base, missed the boat with their team, stayed pat, uh, didn't make any changes uh, at, at certain positions that they should have. They've got great personnel in, in so many spots. But, you know what, the most important spot, they sur- have surrounded Ricky Ray, finally, with some weapons that he can create some, some instant chemistry with. And I don't want to diss any of those other guys who've been around. I mean, we've had some great receivers yeah. in Toronto over the last few years, like Chad Owens and others. But, uh, I, and I think here's the other one. A guy like Anthony Coombs is finally getting a chance to show. And, and you know, it, it's, he's a, a bit of a late bloomer, but he, the opportunity is knocking. And you're seeing, starting to see why he was such a coveted, tailback coming out of college. But you know, it's like you you and 40, I imagine, do this as well, that when you go to commercial break, you talk about the game and, and, mm-hmm. and you talk about sort of the frustrations of watching some athletes. And and with Anthony Coombs, from a Toronto perspective, it was frustrating watching him because he was in love with going east-west yeah. when he is so adept at going north-south, and he seems to have found that. Yeah, And absolutely. he has been so good this year and i think that's a major part of the reason why and that's huge and you know i watched him here in winnipeg at, with the manitoba yeah. bisons at the time and i remember going to some games and watching him and i thought he was phenomenal and he did a lot of that and i think i don't know what happened i think you know sometimes you get into the cfl and you try to do too much i think he might have been guilty of trying to do much to do too much remember he was playing me kind of behind and beside a guy and and and, and who was a legend at the time and andre dury yeah. who was a much different player than than anthony coombs is and i think also the fact that you know and, and andre had a great career with the toronto argos and and in many ways a career that many people didn't see might happen because of injuries but i think anthony coombs sat back and watched a little bit too and you know i know andre was banged up the last couple of years but finally at this is you know this is anthony coombs time to shine and he is showing it Oh, absolutely, and it's just the jump. And I mean, Dakota Prukop is a guy uh, who is in a, he's a first year Argo. He was the starting quarterback for uh, Oregon last mm-hmm. year. And I asked him early in camp, and I said, you know, you, you're a guy who transferred from Montana State to Oregon, and now you've gone from University of Oregon to the Canadian Football League. Can you talk about the sort of the progression between each level? And he said, being honest, there's not much difference between Montana State and Oregon. 
He said, but when I got here, oh my yeah. God. Yeah, he said he didn't expect field, it at all. And he talked about how good the... Re- no, he's just talking about the, 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 yeah. the, the, the caliber of players. Yeah. And he said, just the receivers here alone, he said, every one of them is spectacular. And he said, I didn't expect that when I came up. So I know there's, there are a lot of doubters in this market, but you talk to the guys who actually played the sport, and the jump from University of Oregon to, to the CFL is huge. I can't imagine what it's like for a guy who's expected to start, like Coombs was, going from University of Manitoba to the yeah. CFL. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 you know, and, and, and not the biggest guy in the world, and yeah. at least you know, again, he doesn't have to worry about uh, the rules and you know the the, the daunting yeah. Yeah. progression of a second, you know, two downs to make ten and all that stuff. But no, it is it is absolutely huge, and and, and you made a great point there, and I love the the, the fact that you know not many people really. Uh, talk it up enough in the Canadian. We know through the years, anybody who's followed the CFL uh, passionately knows how good the receivers have been. And sometimes they've been receivers who have been cast aside in the U.S. and mm-hmm. didn't get a chance. I even think a guy like Brandon Zilster right now in Edmonton, who's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Greg, Greg Ellingson, who, who yeah. is, is the, the really like S.J. Green in so many ways, a great second, second down guy. But I have never seen a season, Hoagie, and I think you might agree. Early in the season where I have seen so many high point 50-50 catches and I think it makes it a lot easier. I think the game's changed. I think that quarterbacks are just throwing. They just know. And maybe it has to do with the rules as well because you can't jam after yeah, five yards. Yeah. That quarterbacks are just throwing it up, and guys are making these brilliant, brilliant vertical leaping catches. And this league is full, full of players like that. And, and you know what? As a guy who calls S.J. Green games, the oh. more the merrier. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's, it's Cirque du Soleil every night with S.J. Green. And that's the kind of guy he's been, by the way, since he came into the yeah. league. And he kind of set the standard for it. And I, I, I'm just sitting there going through some tape the other day, and I just was amazed at how many of these catches we're seeing we're going to see, and we'll see them into week six. Stay cool tonight, my friend. You're Thank always you, a brother. cool guy, but try to keep, you know, temperature-wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, be, we'll be hydrated, and then we'll be hydrated post-game, too. Nice. You know what I mean, my man. Absolutely. Thanks, Rod. See you, Hulk. Rod Black joining us. So play-by-play voice. He's got the game tonight, Montreal and Winnipeg on TSN. Lease Busters will get you out of your car lease today. It is as easy as pie, a piece of cake if you want to mix desserts. Avoid penalties and early termination fees. Visit leasebusters.com. Calm. When we come back, Carlo Koliakovo, Olympian, potentially. We'll find out that story next as we continue with Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Twelve forty-six, fourteen minutes before 1 o'clock. This is Toronto Today. Mike Hogan in for Gareth Wheeler. Scotty Mack coming up at the top of the hour with a ton of baseball talk, among other things. Some hockey talk right now. Uh, Leaf fans certainly know this guy, local product, who played a long time in the National Hockey League before last year heading over to Europe, but now back in the conversation as a potential Olympian. Pleasure to have Carlo Koliakovo on the show. How you doing, Carlo? I'm great, Hoagie. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Um, before we get into the whole Olympic thing, how was Germany this year? Uh, to be honest with you, it was one of the best hockey experiences of my career. Um, you know, I've always had thoughts to go play in Europe uh, from my Spangler Cup experience and from my international experience in Canada. And I'm very grateful for a 14-year NHL career. And, uh, you know, you always thought, I always thought at least, that if I was to pursue in Europe, it always would have been uh, Switzerland or Russia because those are the two most comparable leagues to the NHL. But a great opportunity presented itself to me last year, uh, mid-November, in Mannheim, Germany. And... Uh, after speaking to a lot of people and doing some research on it, I'm so glad I made the decision because, 
you know, it's a, one of the best organizations to play for in Europe. And, um, you know, I had from, from my standards a career year where um, I proved to myself that I'm still the player that I always thought I was uh, with an expanded role and uh, had a lot of fun doing it, enjoyed my European experience. I'm signed to go back there again this year, and I'm really looking forward to bringing my family there this year with me this time. Well, I'm glad you had fun. I know, you know covering the CFL, there are guys who come up here from the States after going through the NFL grinder, where, you know, they end up in five organizations in three years kind of thing. And you moved around a lot in the last few years of, of your NHL career. Uh, mentally, forget the hockey stuff on the ice, but just mentally, how relaxing was it to go over and play for the fun of the sport again? Yeah, you know what? I think I think you're you're bang on when when you say mentally. Uh, my last four, maybe five years of my career were extremely stressful. Um, the mental and physical grind that you got to go through, being a guy that's in and out of the lineup every day, and part of a youth movement, and seeing young guy after young guy come up and play ahead of you for uh, for reasons you're not really sure of, um, is a frustrating thing, frustrating thing to do on on a daily basis, but. Uh, the one thing I learned in that whole process was to, you know, to respect the, the game, respect my teammates, respect the whole process and appreciate every, every moment that you get because sooner or later the door is going to shut whether you want to believe it or not and you want to leave with a great impression. And uh, I'm, like I said earlier, I'm extremely grateful for 14 years of the NHL. I would always enter- entertain the opportunity to go back, but being in Europe last year has really reinvigorated myself to play another couple of years because the experience just of, of playing the game and how close the families are involved and um, you know you, you get to enjoy life a little more there too. It's not as stressful. You're playing two, two maybe three games a week, and um, the, the whole experience itself. I mean, you're playing in front of sold-out crowds. I mean, we're we're lucky enough to have one of the bigger buildings in the in the league where we've got thirteen thousand plus and. It's soccer-style atmosphere where these people just go absolutely insane and really make the whole experience that that much pleasurable. So you're in Germany. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Uh, I speak a little bit. Uh, Thankfully, um, where I am in Germany, um, we have a lot of North Americans on our team and Uh and, uh, Canadian coaching staff, and all the Germans speak English there, too, even in the city. So you're not really forced to learn the language as much as you need to. But I picked up a little bit, and uh, you know, hopefully, with my family coming with me this year and my kids going to school there, nice. I have to learn more. Oh, that's awesome! Carlo Coliaco will join yeah. us, a longtime NHLer, former Leaf, and now back in the conversation as a potential Olympian. How does that sound? You know what? It's it's almost uh, surreal when you really think about it. Uh, at this point in my career, to even be, um, you know, to even think about a chance to play internationally for your country, let alone the Olympics, is something you wouldn't even think of at this part of my career. But I'm extremely grateful and extremely motivated and, you know, so thankful for the chance to even get this opportunity. Um, you know, a lot of it has to go with, has to do with the, the situation that I was in last year. I played for a very good team in Mannheim and was able to, 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 to have a really good year. So I think I owe this credit a lot to my teammates and my organization but also, you know, to the way I've prepared. Uh, the last couple of years, I've really, um, you know, done some different stuff in training on the ice. I worked with Power Edge Pro, and it's really, you know, kept me young and, and uh, has allowed me to continue playing the game that I want to be or want to play. It's, uh, 
it's a, a training that Connor McDavid's known for uh, doing through his whole career, and I still continue to do it. And it's it's really allowed me to keep up with the pace of the game, and um, you know, put me in the situation that I'm in right now. Uh, it's you know, I, I, I'm extremely grateful to just be part of the process. I'm looking at the team, the players that are selected. There's a lot of good players that Canada has to choose from, even though the NHL players aren't going. Um, so for me, it's it's extremely motivational, and I'm, I'm going to give it my all and do whatever I can to help myself make that team. It's funny, though. A lot of dominoes had to sort of line up in place for you to get this opportunity. You had to go leave the NHL. Um, you know, yeah. the NHL had to leave the Olympics. And now all of a sudden, you go to Europe, you play well again, and now your name is on the radar. You're getting this opportunity. At what point... Did you start thinking, hey, wait a minute. You know, there's an opportunity here. I might be able to, to, to pull something off here and play for my country. Yeah, you know, it, it didn't really start to come to fruition until last year. Um, prior to me signing in Germany, um, you know, I, I negotiated a, an agreement to play in the Spengler Cup. And in talking to the people associated with the team, they kind of gave me indications that, hey, there's a good chance the NHL might not be going, and we might use this as a scouting tool for, uh, you know, future Canadian uh, teams, including the Olympics, which is something great, something you want to hear. And obviously I still pay attention a lot to the NHL and what goes on in the NHL. And I think I want to stress first and foremost that um, as great as an opportunity is for me and for myself, I think the NHL is losing out on a lot mm-hmm. for not – participating in the Olympics. I mean, what better way to brand your game and the greatness of, of hockey and especially the NHL and on the national level at the Olympics. So it's unfortunate that uh, they had to come to this conclusion where NHL players aren't going. Because anytime you're, you're, you're at a national event, you want to see the best players in the world competing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not for me to say or for not, not for me to get into. I'm just, a, I'm just grateful that when a door closes, another one opens, and it's it's an open door that it's allowed me to, to take part in such a great opportunity and, and take part in the Olympics. So they've got a couple of groups playing in separate tournaments, right? And you're going to be playing in the in the in the Puchkov tournament. Um, how much do you know yeah. about that? And and what have they told you about what they want to see out of you, uh, and what role they foresee you being uh, if you do make this hockey club? I don't think there's been much discussion in regards to those details. Um, this all happened really quick yeah. within the last couple of weeks. So I think, uh, at least from, from my knowledge right now, these last couple of weeks have really been just trying to prepare ourselves to play with visas and passports and education on things that we need to be prepared of. Um, they haven't specified any role or anything like that. Um, I think most of those conversations will come once we're together as a group. But the, just the only knowledge that I was told was, um, for the for the two tournaments, they wanted to put together two separate teams, and they've basically created a short list of guys that they that they've see right now mm-hmm. as potential candidates. But there could be so much that could change throughout the season um, with three potential other tournaments that are going to be used as warm up tournaments to prepare for the ultimate uh, the final team. So ultimately, this is a great opportunity, and I've been preparing and skating and training really hard for it lately um but uh at the end of the day i still got to focus on having a really good year continuing on my success as a person and as a player especially uh and building on my momentum from last year and 
if everything takes care of itself in that in that uh, retrospect, then you know things should fall into place. Well, when I saw your name, Carlo, I was thrilled because you know you you went through the ringer here in Toronto as a local kid and a high draft pick, and you really didn't play your best hockey until you got out of the market. And uh, you were so good in St. Louis for those uh, for those handful of years. And I'm I'm glad you're being rewarded for that persistence by getting an opportunity to play for the country. Thank you so much. Enjoy the German experience more than anything else, and uh, hopefully we can talk again after it's all over. Yeah, thanks, Olga. I really appreciate what you just said. Uh, it means a lot, and. Uh... Thanks for having me on the show, and I uh, look forward to a great season in Germany and hopefully, ultimately, what turns out to be in a spot on the Canadian Olympic team where uh, I'd be proud to represent my country. Awesome. Well put. Be well, Carl. Best of luck. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Augie. That Thanks. is uh, Carl Koliakovo joining us, uh, former Maple Leaf, former NHLer, which sounds a little weird, but uh, playing in Germany, making him eligible for uh, the, uh, the non-NHL Olympic team, and he's going to be trying out for that. Uh, thank you so much for listening today. That was, a, that was a fun show. Nice job putting it together, Joe. Joe Nars, our producer today. Can I make you a little happier after the start of your day? No. Well, it did, but the, the bar was set so low, you know, kind of smashing the screen of my iPhone, among other things. Scrooge Nasty, thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. That's uh, Michael Scrizniak, our technical director. Coming up next, the Scott MacArthur Show on TSN 1050.